0: Well, if you don't know me, just allow me to introduce myself. My name is Destin Garner. I serve here at Rock Point Church as the pastor of students over in student ministry. And so Ron actually called me on Thursday and he couldn't preach. He had gotten a fight on Black Friday uh, over some bed sheets. Um, He said, I've never seen a woman in a motorized cart punch so hard. And so broke his, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, We had had this scheduled for a while. (laughs) But anyways, ready or not, here it is, right? It's Christmas time, and uh, Thanksgiving's over, and so it is upon us. And so I just want to see who I'm working with here, who I'm preaching to. And so if you are one of those people and you're like, it is about stinking time, I am so ready. My house is decorated. I've got it all going on. I've been listening to Christmas music secretly behind my family's back for a month already. If this is you and you love this, can I just have a big, uh, just say, Christmas? All right, I see a few of you there. Very good. Now, on the other hand, the other side of the coin, if you're here and you're kind of like, oh, wire lights up. It's not even December yet. They better not sing a Christmas song until at least December 15th. And you're just, you're so ready for the season to already be over and having begun. You're just like, December 26th cannot get here. This insanity is too much. If that's you, can I just have a big, hearty humbug? Not a one. We got some holly jolly happy people in here. In the 9-15, there was this like group of people like right over here, like all the humbuggers set together, right? <laughs> so we're here. It's here. It's Christmas time, right? Now, whether you, whether you love Christmas, whether you just kind of like it or you tolerate it, or maybe you loathe Christmas, right? Whatever it is for you, we all have to admit, Christmas is a lot It's a ton. There's so much stuff that we just pack in to this one month as we gather and celebrate Christmas. And so what I did is I went online. I found this to-do list of ways that you can prepare for Christmas. Everything you ought to be doing to get ready to celebrate the birth of Christ, the birth of our Savior. Okay, So I just want to read that list and let you kind of feel how much we do and all that goes on at Christmas. Here it is. Here's what you should be doing to help prepare for Christmas. You need to decorate the powder room with holiday towels, candles, and soap dispensers. You need to decorate the kitchen, the family room, the great room, the bedrooms, the foyer, the front porch, and the front door. You need to take an inventory of your freezer, take an inventory of your pantry. You need to purchase and make holiday cards. You need to stock booze for your parties. Wait, sorry. It wasn't a bad this list. I got the, so my bad. I'll fix it for you guys. Hide the booze from your holiday parties. Uh, <clears throat> confirm all the addresses in your contact list are up to date. It's buy stamp. Write Christmas cards. Put up outdoor Christmas lights. Create a gift list and budget for your family. Repair appetizers ahead and freeze them. Find a good hiding spot for your gifts. Create a photo ornament for grandparents. Buy and make hot chocolate with marshmallows. Set aside time to make gifts. Crafts and decor with the kids. Set aside, or if buying items online, be sure to order them in time for the holidays. Go enjoy a holiday home tour. Donate toys, gifts, and clothes to a needy charity. Donate money or food to your food bank. Prepare or pare down old toys to make room for new ones. Book your dog into the groomer for a pre-Christmas cleanup. Write letters to Santa. Organize your secret Santa party. Book hotels and make travel arrangements if traveling over the holidays. Create a gift recipient list so not to forget anyone. Bring out your elf on the shelf. Make sure you have the kids. Appropriate attire for all their concerts, parties, and work gatherings. Take a family photo. Start your Christmas shopping. Change all the bedding. Wash down the kitchen cupboards. Make or buy teacher's gifts. Make or buy neighbor's gifts. Set up and decorate the Christmas tree. Buy gift wraps and name tags. Buy stocking stuffers. Make a Christmas music playlist. Clean everything, especially inside the oven. Make ornaments with the kids. Drive around, admire the holiday lights. Go ice skating, watch a Christmas movie or one every night. Drink a lot of eggnog. Bake and decorate your gingerbread house. Plan a holiday menu. Create a Christmas card display. Set out guest towels. Buy your holiday meal ingredients. Wrap gifts. Make sure you have enough toilet paper, sip cocoa in front of the fire. Read a Christmas book. Buy new pajamas for the kids. Polish your silverware. Deliver gifts to friends. Prepare school trees for end-of-the-year parties. Read of the night before Christmas. Take a photo of the kids in front of the tree. Leave cookies out for Santa. Take a sip of the booze you hid. Then stop... <laughs> And enjoy the moment you've been working a whole month to achieve. When I read that list, I'm just like, that's insanity. Right? It's crazy. All the things. And here's why I I love that when you, we all do that. Or most of us. I mean, I don't polish silverware, right? But uh, uh, maybe my grandmother does. But there's so much of that stuff that every single one of us, every single Christmas season, we're doing that. And I think it's just crazy to me, right? Just how much is going on. So we understand this; we kind of know this about Christmas—that it is a lot. And uh, some of our favorite Christmas movies are based on this premise: that Christmas is so much, and it's it's hard to really take in. It's hard to really do everything. So one of my favorites is Christmas with the Cranks. Have anybody seen that one? And um, so it's the Tim Allen's in there, and it's based on a, a novel by John Grisham called Skipping Christmas. And the whole premise of that movie, if you haven't seen it, is that they're reading that list, and they're like, "This is so much money. This is." So so much stuff. Like, how are we going to have time for this? How are we going to have money for this? Why don't we just, like, skip? What don't we do none of that stuff and just go on a cruise, you know, and just tell everybody goodbye. We're not celebrating. And so they try to do that, but really their neighbors and their co-workers and the culture is just so much pressure. They have to cave in, and they really can't escape all about Christmas. And then one of my favorite movies, Christmas movies, is Christmas Vacation with Chevy Chase. And so I love it because there's tension that builds around that, right? It's Clark Griswold, and so he He's got these like just lofty, almost unattainable expectations for Christmas. He's got these uppity neighbors. He's got awful family members, right? His boss is pretty terrible and he gets the, his his hopes of a pool is just squashed, And it all comes together in this climactic where he just goes off in this beautiful, terrible, where he's just telling everybody everything. And there's just a lot of profanity in it. And we all kind of sit back and we look at him like, wow. But we kind of laugh because we're like, that's probably been us a couple of times. I wish I could just go off like that and say things. So we get it, right? Christmas is a lot. It builds a lot of tension, a lot of stress sometimes. I even started looking about uh, the amount of money we'll spend on Christmas. And so the national average per person that we will spend on Christmas gifts across the U.S., anybody want to guess? It's $967 per person average U.S. spending on Christmas, okay? But that ain't Flower Mound. No, 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 no. Here's, here's Flower Mound. I found Flower Mound. <clears throat> it didn't take me long to dig down the list. You're number two, Um the average budget in Flower Mound per person spending on Christmas is $2,624, which means that a family of 5 will drop an average of 13k on Christmas gifts this season. Christmas is a lot. This is one statistic I love. I found this one. It says that 77% of you, when out shopping for other people, are just going to buy something for yourself too, right? (laughs) I love that, right? Christmas has become memes, right? You're out there like, I would love to celebrate the, you know, Christ my Savior. And celebrate myself a little bit too, you know, while I'm at it. So Christmas is a lot. And I think about it, you know, I'm like, "If, if the Grinch tried to steal Christmas, I almost feel like Satan just tries to suffocate it. Just packs so much, crams so much Christmas clutter that we can't really enjoy it. When I was running across some research, I found a WikiHow article, Top 10 Ways to Enjoy Christmas. Right, and it had all these things that you must do. You have to make a gingerbread house or you're not going to enjoy Christmas. You have to use an aroma pot and decorate a tree and have a party. Da, 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 da. And then it had a number 11. I'm like, well, why is there a number 11 on the top 10 list? And here's what it said. Top 10 ways to enjoy Christmas, number 11, find a place to worship, parentheses, optional. And I thought that was crazy. It's like a gingerbread house is not optional. But finding a place to worship, maybe, if you can. And so it seems like we've just crowded Christ completely out of Christmas. In a book called Watch for the Light, it's a collection of Advent readings. Here's what the editors put out for their introduction. Here's what they write in the book. For the vast majority of us, December flies by in a flurry of activities in what is called the holiday season, and it turns out to be the most stressful time of year. It's also a time of contrasting emotions. We're eager yet frazzled, sentimental yet indifferent. One moment we glow at the thought of getting together with our family and friends. The next we feel utterly lonely. Our hope is mingled with dread, our anticipation with despair. We sense the deeper meanings of the season, but we grasp at them in vain. And in the end, the bustle leaves us frustrated and drained. Even those of us who do not experience with such tension, who generally love Christmas, we often miss the point. Content with candles and carols, good food, we bask in the warmth of familiar traditions and reciprocated acts of kindness and the feelings of goodwill. We are often so dulled by superficial distractions that consequently, the feeling we know as Christmas cheer lacks any real connection to the vital spirit that radiates from the manger. But what if I told you there's a way to bring true joy, true meaning, true focus back into Christmas? I believe that there is. And I believe it's through the practice and observance of Advent. See, Advent, it shifts the focus from idealism to realism. A commercialized, consumeristic Christmas, it has these lofty, unattainable expectations. But Advent invites us to be honest about the hurt, the struggle, the pain, the darkness, the grief that many of us experience around this time of year. See, Advent shifts the focus from celebration to reflection. And absolutely, Christ's birth is worth celebrating. We should celebrate it, but not everything in this world is holly jolly, right? We should reflect on that, what Christ's birth truly means. What are its ramifications? Why did he come? That's what Advent invites you to do. Advent shifts the focus from perfection to promise. Perfection, right, that's this idea that The perfect-looking family wakes up in their perfect home on Christmas morning, and they walk down to their perfectly decorated Christmas tree, and they open all their perfect presents, and it fulfills their heart. And we all watch that, and we go, gag, right? That's not true, right? That's a Lexus commercial. It's not my life. And so that's not what Advent does. It moves it from that to reflection or to promise. There's a promise that one day things can get better, that things will get better. There's a promise Of perfection, but not one that we can achieve or attain today. Advent shifts the focus from presence to presence. The commercialized Christmas often centers around the gifts you and I get, but Advent focuses on the gift giver who gave the ultimate gift, his presence, his son, God with us, Emmanuel. So, what is Advent? It's a word, it literally translated means coming or arrival. And we use it to signify, to talk about the arrival or the coming of Christ. Both both at his first coming as a baby in a manger and at his second coming as the king of all creation. So this is what Advent is, and we try to trace its origins back. It's hard to really pin down when Advent started. The best we can get to is about the 5th century, where there's a bishop who kind of makes a mandate for his people to start fasting three times a week, beginning November 11th, going all the way to December 25th. Three times a week they would fast for the whole purpose of just this mental and spiritual preparation for Christmas, So we think that that's probably the beginnings of Advent, and it's morphed and it's changed. And today what it is is it's a season. It's the four Sundays before Christmas that we start observing. So there's nothing really to to do with Advent. It's not like something you do, right? It's just it's a season, or it could be a mindset. It can be a filter which which you look through everything else that you overlay on top of all the other Christmas things that we do couple of traditions that circle around Advent or Advent calendars. I don't know if you've seen those little things where there's like 24 doors and every day you open up and there's, you know, a little poem or scripture or a prize or a piece of chocolate and all every day the kids open it up and it gets to December 24th. Maybe there's a big piece of chocolate that day. And so it's just this idea of of teaching and training young ones and even ourselves of this expectation, this anxious, this awaiting, this hope for what's to come. The second tradition that really is around Advent is the Advent wreath, that we have these different candles and that we light one every Sunday leading up to Christmas Eve. And so candles of love, hope, joy, and peace. And in the middle we find the Christ candle, which we light on Christmas Eve. And so those are some of the traditions, right? We think about that we use the candles because Jesus is the light of the world. And the light came, the darkness cannot overcome it. And every week we see the light getting brighter and brighter and brighter. So it's a great picture, great illustration of the gospel that we'll even use here. And so what's the point of Advent? Why do we even do this or go through this? And I would say this. It's really just for us to remember God's promise. To send someone, to send a Savior, deliver a Messiah who would conquer sin and death once and for all. And to remember how he has kept that promise. And so a friend of Pastor Ron's, his name is Greg Methvin, he's an Episcopal priest. And I had emailed him, was just looking for some resources and books on Advent. And so he sent me some great stuff back. But in his email, he also wrote this. Greg said, I'm convinced that the war on Advent, waiting Hoping, building expectation for the coming Christ is much more furious than the war on Christmas. Advent invites us to listen, to make room, to prepare the way for the coming Lord. We are more likely to cram our ears full of Christmas music, our homes full of decorations and gifts, and pack our calendars with events. Christmas loses when Jesus is given no room to be born into our lives here and now. Advent challenges us to prepare some space, some room, where he may be born into us even today. So the question as we approach and enter into this Advent, this Christmas season, is: is there room in your heart for Christ? Or has he been crowded out with all the Christmas clutter and the Christmas stuff? If it is, if your head and your hands and your heart and your life has just been so cluttered with all this Christmas stuff, I want to give you three ways that I believe Advent can bring back and restore and renew Christmas for you. There's a song, right, It talks about the thrill of hope that Christmas should bring. And for many of us, the thrill of hope is just dissolved away. And I believe practicing, observing Advent can bring back that thrill of hope. Here's one way. The first way observance of Advent can redeem, restore, and renew Christmas is that Advent reminds us of our past. That's the way it can renew and bring life to Christmas again. So when we start with Jesus in a manger, the baby there, we're jumping into the middle of the story. You never open a book and just jump to the middle. You never just watch a movie and go straight to the middle, right? You always start at the beginning. So Advent wants us to do that, to go back even to the beginning, to Genesis, where God creates the world. And and there we see there's this poetic language that it's good, it's good, it's good. And then at the end, he says, it's very good. Tov mahov, exceedingly, abundantly more good than you can ever possibly imagine or hope. It's perfection. That's creation. That's God's intention. But yet we see that that becomes and unravels, it's it's broken, there's a schism, there's a fracture in that. And what we get is the result that we see in Genesis chapter 6. I would invite you, if you have a Bible, grab your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 6 verse 5. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, as we're remembering the past, says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot man from whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I... Have made them, so we see when we read that word that, that that wickedness, you have to understand that you and I were created to love God when we're operating in our original intent, that's what it is, and so when we don't love God or we love something more than God, that's what the Bible calls wickedness that's the evils we're placing something in God's position that only he can have, and so here. What you have is that everywhere, there's wickedness everywhere. He says everyone has abandoned him, betrayed him, turned against him, cheated on him, left him, rebelled against him. And so it hurts God. He, he's grieved. He's, he's mourning, he's stricken. And so it's like, well, what do we do? How, how, do we, how do we fix this? And so what God's plan was at the beginning was, here's a worldwide flood. I'm going to try to wipe the evilness and wickedness out. But here's what happened. Here's what's so interesting. Worldwide flood destroys everything except for Noah and his family. But you know what else survives the flood? Sin survives. Even a worldwide flood destroyed everything. Even in that righteous family, sin survived. And so what we see is that people still love other things more than God. They still don't love God the way they should. So now what? Now what is God going to do? What is his plan to, to win those back whom he loves? What is more powerful than a worldwide flood? How could he truly destroy sin and wickedness and evil once and for all? Will we get a hint of it early on in Scripture? A few chapters back, Genesis chapter 3, we'll see. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Adam and Eve have partaken of the fruit. God comes, and now he's kind of giving the consequences for the sin. As God talks to the serpent, he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." So what we have here is what we call the proto Evangelion. the proto meaning first and euangelion meaning the gospel, the good news. This is the first time we have the good news. And what God's plan is is to send a Messiah, a literal translation, a deliverer, a savior to crush the head of the serpent to get rid of sin and evil and wickedness for all times. That's the plan. Sometimes for me, I can read the adult Bible and I get it and I understand of it. But sometimes it's helpful for me to read it in children's language. And so every night before I put Bryce, my 17-month-old, down to bed, I read her out of the Jesus Storybook Bible. And so I found the passage that talks about this. I wanted to read that to you. God loved his children too much to let the story in there. Even though he knew he would suffer, God had a plan, a magnificent dream. One day, God would get his children back. One day, he would make the world perfect again. One day, he would wipe every tear from their eye. You see, no matter what, in spite of everything, God loves his children. With a never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, always and forever love. And though they would forget him, though they would run from him, deep in their hearts, God's children would miss him always and long for him. Like lost children yearning for their home. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve. It will not always be so. I will come and rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. And get rid of sin and the dark and the sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself would come. That's what Christmas is all about. It's about God showing his love to those he loves in order to win back their love. I don't know where you are this Christmas season, this Advent season, but maybe one of the things you need to hear this Christmas that you've never heard before is that God just loves you. He came after you. He came back for you. When you and I rebelled and spat in his face and cheated on him and abandoned and left him, he pursues us. It's an incredible, incredible thing to remember at Advent. We remember our past. We move away from loving ourselves. And we move toward loving our loving Savior. The second way the observant of Advent can redeem, restore, and renew Christmas for you is that Advent prepares us to live here and now in the present. One author writes this. He says the whole point of Advent is to spend several weeks preparing for Christmas instead of celebrating Christmas. It's about stepping into the shoes of the Israelites, longing, crying for a Messiah to come. It's about reflecting on our sin and our shortcomings and our need for a Savior. Then, once we get to Christmas Day, the celebration of Jesus' birth becomes that much more spectacular and meaningful. So Christmas is all about this arrival, this coming of Christ. He's our deliverer from sin and from death, right? But there's a period of waiting. We have to wait. And ever since the fall, we've been waiting. Noah waited for the rain to come. Abraham waited for his son Isaac to be born. Joseph waited to be delivered from prison. Egypt, or they waited 400 years. The Israelites waited 400 years in Egypt. They waited in the wilderness to move in to the promised land. David waited on the Lord for Saul. We waited in the intertestamental period, 400 years of waiting. You and I today, we wait. We live between the first advent and the second advent. We live between the pain and the promise. We live between the already and the not yet. Paul writes about this. He talks about this waiting, this weird tension that we have in the here and now. In Romans 8.22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves are the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now, the hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And so we're waiting, and there's this anticipation, this joy, this excitement for what's to come. But honestly, most of us hate waiting. We can't stand. I'm one of those people, like, I want things to happen and be super efficient. And I even found something online that says, you know, we'll wait for things, and there comes a point of action. We're like, we're moving. We're taking action. I thought it was interesting. For people to stop talking in a movie, the average person will wait on that for about one minute and 52 seconds before you turn around and give them a stink eye, you know. For parents to quiet down a loud baby, you'll probably wait about two minutes and 41 seconds, and then you're acting. For a coworker who's late, maybe three minutes, 54 seconds, waiting at the doctor's office, 32 minutes before you're knocking on that window, sliding it, you know, like, I'm ready. The car in front of you at a green light, this said, fifty seconds. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not waiting fifty seconds when the green. Ten seconds. I'm gonna put my Mazda three into monster truck mode. Like, I'm just going over it, right? So we hate waiting, but here we are, between the already and the not yet, between pain and the promise. So how should we wait? Second Peter three gives us a good idea. Verse eleven. It says, since all these things are thus thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for, hastening for the coming day of the Lord. Because that which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, here it is, be diligent to be found by him without spot, without blemish, And at peace. That's how we're to wait. And that's what Advent prepares us to do. We wait with giddy anticipation, excitement, diligent, without spot, without blemish, at peace. The third and final way I believe that the observance of Advent can redeem, restore, and renew Christmas is that Advent provides hope for our future. You saw that in the bumper. They did a great job creating it, our creative apartment. And they talked about promises made and promises kept. And each promise made and each promise kept builds into our trust and our hope. So what I wanted to do is bring a few of those, a few of those prophecies to you and read them. Isaiah 9, 2 says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's a promise, a prophecy. And here we see it fulfilled in John 1, 4 and 5. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Another promise in Isaiah 53, 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteem with him, stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. We see the promise kept in Matthew eight fourteen when it says, Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her. She rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons. They cast out the spirits of word and healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he took our illness and he bore our disease. Last example of a promise being kept is Luke four sixteen, where it says, Jesus came to Nazareth. When he had been brought up, it was his custom. He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. Jesus begins to read from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering sight for the blind, to set liberty to all those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all of the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Over or around 350 promises made about Jesus around 350 promises kept. That's incredible, right? Every promise made, every promise kept. We have more trust. We have more hope. So the question is, what do you hope for? What's the deepest longing of your heart? What do you want? What do you desire the most? And here's what I say. Even if you got that, what that is, it's a shadow compared to what Christ can give and offer See, it, Jesus' second advent, his second coming, everything, all that hope will be realized in full love, joy, peace, realized. That's the hope we have, that everything will be made right. Here's what Revelation 21, how it describes that moment. Then I saw the new heaven and the new earth, the first heaven and the first earth that passed away. The sea was no more, and I saw the holy city. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. And God prepared a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I'm making all things new. He said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Whatever it is you're yearning for, the the thing that you're hungering for, it'll never be fulfilled on a Christmas morning opening presents. It'll only be fulfilled when our Savior and King returns in glory to make everything right. That's the hope that Advent brings. In preparing for this, I just had this memory of these two kids that came up in my mind over and over. I just want to share that little story with you. But there's a few years back when Cowboys first built AT&T Stadium. It was the first year that they were in it. My mom, for my dad's Christmas present, bought him and my entire family seats to go to the brand-new Cowboys Stadium. And so we went somewhere around Christmas time. We played the Eagles. That was back when we had a chance to win. We came on the field. And so we're there. We're in the upper deck, you know, there's like three layers. We're in the upper deck, we're, we're one seat from the edge, you know, maybe so we wouldn't fall over. My mom paid 500 a pop for those seats, which is just insane to me, right? 500 a pop times, like, I don't know, there's like six, seven of us there at the game. And I remember just watching, kind of being amazed, and it was the first time we've ever been to the stadium, first time it's been open. But just one row in front of us, right on the edge, there's a family of four a mother, a father, and their two kids. And the two kids were there at the game, but they weren't watching the game. They brought some Game Boys, and they were just sitting down here doing this the entire game. And I almost couldn't watch the game. I just wanted to go hit them, you know, I just wanted to knock their little game. Like, you know how much your parents pay for these seats? And you're just like, blah, blah, blah. and I think about that, right? And I relate it to Christmas, that we've been invited into this incredible relationship, this incredible experience. Someone else has paid the price for us to have a seat at this event. And we're kind of looking at our game board like Christmas cookies, Christmas parties, Christmas presents, Christmas this. And we're missing the birth of the Savior. And I don't want to spend the rest of my life like that. I don't want to spend the rest of my Christmases like that, going somewhere and just totally being distracted and, and missing the point. So I hope as you do Christmas and watch the movies and make the cookies and sing the songs, but just put the filter of Advent over it all, be reminded of the past. Anxiously anticipate, live here in the now and the present and have a hope for the future. My hope and my prayer is that this practice, this observance would bring joy and meaning. It would bring the thrill of hope back to you and your family's Christmas. So I'm going to pray, and as I close, the band's going to come back and sing, O Come, Emmanuel. And I pray as those words are saying, it would just melt away the consumeristic, commercialized Christmas. And it would start to build back the true meaning, the true joy, the true hope of Christmas for you. And as they sing, what we'll do is we'll have a time of offering where you can respond and worship But we have these cards in the seat back in front of you. They're connection cards. If you've made a decision for Christ, if you want to know more about that, putting your hope in Christ Jesus alone, you can do that. If you're ready to give back, to serve, right, you can do that here. If you just want more information from the church, we'd be happy to contact you. So you can fill those out and drop those in the offering when they come around. Let me pray, and we'll have the band come and lead us in worship. God, thank you so much for Advent. For your coming. You did not have to come. You could have sat in heaven and watched us struggle and fight and fail time and time and time again. But out of your love, out of your graciousness, out of your kindness, God, you chose to humble yourself. To make a way for us to have a right, restored, renewed relationship with you, Lord. Thank you for your first advent. So right now in the period, Lord, that we wait, help us to wait patiently, to wait well, to have our eyes fixed on you, to have a bigger picture, and to not have all the stuff of Christmas suffocate and strangle the meaning out of it, God. But help us to find the joy, the hope, the peace, and the love. God, And I pray that we would all, with bated breath, be waiting for the day that you would recome. And that you would restore all things, every relationship, every brokenness, every sin, every hurt, every tear, every struggle that's out there. God, one day, you're going to fix it all. And so we long for that. We wait for that. We hope for that, Jesus. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for this Advent season. Amen.